Hope you uh, open your Bible to Acts 14. I love that first song we sang, um, uh, that I came out of that grave. Just reminds me, excuse me, I, I usually am sipping coffee till I get up here, but I drank it all already. Because I taught Sunday school as well, so I've been talking for two hours. But um, uh, the, the Bible says that we're dead in trespasses and sin. I don't know if you know this, but dead men can't respond to stimuli. <laughs> Do you know that? That's the definition of being dead, right? Unresponsive. That's a bad call when a, when a medic has to code that, you know, it's unresponsive. It uh, means uh, something's not right. And so we're unresponsive to Christ uh, and to the gospel, to the reality. And so the Bible says, so God made you alive. He, he brought you out of that grave so that you could respond to him. And Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And the reason he called him out by name, because if he had just said, come forth, everybody would have got up, right? And not all the stones were rolled away. So there have been some people going, let me out of here. So, uh, so uh, Lazarus uh, was risen from the dead. I'm just glad there was a day, God. I, I know that just hit me at the moment. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to pause to enjoy that myself there. Uh, my my uh, self-control goes down the longer I talk. But anyway, uh, just, it, it's just a great thing that he calls us out of that grave and we walk with him. Well, we're in Acts 14 and... And I'm calling this today, The Gospel Takes a Stand. There's, there's a couple of stories in here. Well, a lot of stories, actually. Uh, so it's kind of a marathon of verses. We'll read them all. But, but it's, it, 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 it's showing us that, that God calls us to speak out and speak up for Him. And we see a lot of things there we'll get into. But, but when God takes a stand, we need to take a stand. And we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the world to God. And, and so we have to be active in that. We have to be involved in that. But there's some negative parts to that. And we've got to be aware of them, but it's not a reason not to do them. So if you'll stand with me, I know, uh, well, you, actually, you were already sitting, right? The choir is just, one's just sat down. Y'all stand back up. We're going to read uh, this chapter, chapter 14, an entire chapter, okay? Starting at verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue... And spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice to the, uh, with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they'd spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter uh, in this book of history where you tell us what you were doing in the church and through the church and with the church as you were expanding the kingdom. We thank you for Paul and Barnabas and uh, their, their journey and what they did here. Lord, we thank you for the details that you put into these stories. We know that there were many, many more details you could have put in. So the ones you put there is for our edification, for us to learn and to grow through. So we pray that you would grant us uh, what we cannot do. Uh, I am not uh, sufficient to, to speak today. Uh, Lord, only you are sufficient. So I ask, Lord, as I, as I heard a preacher say this week, that the preacher would sit down and that you would stand up and that, Lord, your word would be clearly spoken and clearly understood and that we would respond to what the Spirit leads us to do today. Uh, we bind our enemy in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to rebuke him for us, that we can have the freedom to, uh, to think clearly that uh, your spirit would move in us to open our mind to see the wonderful things of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all be seated. This, uh, this, this, this event, uh, th these events that happen uh, just show that, that when you do speak out for Christ, uh, sometimes some bad things can happen. Some good things happen, but some bad things can happen. And so many times our, our fear... Uh, keeps us from speaking. Sometimes it's an undefinable fear. You're just afraid. Uh, sometimes it might be a fear you don't know enough. might be a fear somebody will, you know, uh, get aggressive or, or abusive towards you, and that's possible. Uh, uh, but but uh, just so you know, I'm afraid every time I speak. I'm afraid to get up here and do this every time. It's not a not time doesn't go by that I'm not. Um, and, and if I weren't afraid, I probably wouldn't get up because that would be a sign that something wasn't right, okay? Uh, because it, it's just a part of human nature. And, and so God shows up and he shows off and he helps us do it. So I, I don't want you to go out here going, well, I, I can't do it because I'm not bold enough. Well, nobody is. I mean, that's, that's a rare bird that might not, that, that, that can be that bold. And uh, even many performers say that that's the only way they can overcome their shyness is to perform, be a different character and do things uh, like acting and, and things. So, so I want you to understand that. But, but here in this text... It didn't stop them. It, the bad things encouraged them to go even further. And I, I want you to see that. I, I, this is what I want you to take home. When the gospel takes a stand, don't be afraid to stand with it. 
because, again, you're going to die anyway, so you might as well die doing the right thing, right? Don't want to climb the ladder of success, find it leaning against the wrong wall, you know? You, you, want, to, you want to be doing the right thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing well. I want to do the right thing well. I want to get where I'm supposed to be going. So, so the, the right thing is what God says, and we need to be standing with his word when he takes a stand. And, and uh, it looks like boldness to other people, but it's just, it's really humility saying, well, this is what God said, and I'm going to go with God, because I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but he is, and this is what he said. So as we look at this, I want you to see a pattern that Paul has been doing. And he repeats this effective pattern. Now, I've said this a bunch of times. I asked my wife. She said, yeah, you told us what it is. But I'm going to clearly define it and show it to you in both of these, these events here. So without looking at the text, this is what Paul's been doing. First of all, he gives a strong word, okay? And that's a strong word of testimony. And I call it a strong word because it has an immediate response, an immediate action. But it's a very strong word. In that, I, I mean, Paul didn't play around. Now, Different people need different things. So when it's a Jewish people that he's talking to, and they already know a little bit about the Word of God, the Bible, he starts there, and he can skip some of the introductory things. We'll see in the second instance here, these people don't know anything about the living God, so he has to go a different route. He's been preaching, but then God does something a little bit unique, but it's still a strong spoken word. When it's just kind of what I see happening amongst ourselves many times, and me, me as well. Even if we witness, we talk about the church, we talk about the Lord, we talk about God. Those are all kind of general terms. They have definite meanings, but in most people's thinking, those are general terms. What we need to be doing is talking about God fulfilling his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And use his name. It is at that name that every knee bows and every tongue confesses. It's a powerful name. We sing songs about it, but we don't really believe it. And so we kind of give euphemisms sometimes about God. And, 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 and let me just tell you why that's important. Because it's very possible this week someone will knock on your door from the kingdom hall and they'll tell you they believe in Jesus. But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It, 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 to, to, to the Jehovah Witness, Jesus is not God, not like Jehovah's God. He's a great teacher. He is some kind of, you know, he knows more than most, but they are Jehovah Witnesses. They witness for Jehovah, which is the, is the name of, of God given in the Old Testament, which means I am who I am. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. You see, Jesus is that God that was here before. It is proper to call both the Father and the Son Jehovah. Jesus was here before time and space began. He will be here after time and space began. The uh, ends, he is the great I am. I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house when, when I was still single. My roommate and his wife were visiting, and they came in, and you know, they come with older and a younger. Usually the older guy's training the younger person. It was two men. And uh, so we brought him in, we sat down, we had a discussion with him, and my, my roommate, my friend, uh, said, he, we listened politely, and then he said, well, let's look at Revelation 4 and 5, and, and in Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus is seated on a throne in the right hand of God, and angels and elders and all of heaven, all the redeemed in heaven are worshiping him as God. He said, why would Jehovah let that happen in heaven? And the young guy went, where is that? And the old guy went, no, because he knew, you know. They were telling us a lie anyway. So, so it's important to know what Jesus you're talking about. Because 
You may run to a couple of guys on bicycles this week with a white shirt and a dark tie, and they're Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Notice Jesus Christ in their name. But their Jesus is a brother to Adam who has evolved through time, through reincarnation and other things, evolved until he became Jesus and was God. And that there are many worlds out there in space that have souls on them, celestial beings. And so you got to marry, in their original doctrine, they change doctrines every few years. But in their original doctrine, you had to marry a bunch of women so that you could have a bunch of kids so those souls would have homes to live in on this earth. Now they can deny all that, but that's, in their, that's what their theology is. That's who their Jesus is. He's not God who stands outside of space and time, created it, and then entered it in Bethlehem through uh, the baby that was born to the Virgin Mary. That's, that's not the Jesus of Mormonism. And of course, Islam and Buddhists and all that say Jesus was a good teacher, but they don't acknowledge him as God. So you better know who you're talking about. You better give a strong witness. Because people say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but my question is, which Jesus? It's important to know. It's the Jesus of Scripture, who claimed to be God himself, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, died in our place on the cross, was buried and then rose again. And guess what? He's fixing to come back. That Jesus is the one we're talking about. So Paul gave a strong word. It wasn't a gentle thing. And by the way, he wasn't stopped by the ought nots. You know what the ought nots are? You ought not do that. Right? It's, it, it's not just fear that stops us. It's, well, my boss will get mad if I talk about Jesus. Well, as long as you're giving him eight hours of work for eight hours of pay, you can talk about whatever you want. According to the law of this land, at least, he might not like it, but that's tough. You have the right to do that. Now, I don't not do your job to talk to people. Do your job. And as a Christian, you ought to do that. But, but don't, don't say, well, my work won't allow that. And, and I get that. There, there, I, I get there's some parameters on that. Uh, if, if you're in a leadership role of, of amongst minors, there's certain things you should not do, cannot do. But, but, but my point is, don't let the ought not stop you. You've been hanging out with Jesus. Did, did, did what the rulers of his day say affect him? They, they got mad because they plucked wheat on the Sabbath day because his disciples were hungry and rubbed it in their hands and ate it. Oh, that's work. You can't do that. He said, don't you remember when David was running from Saul? Uh, from, uh, Saul he stopped at the temple and ate the holy bread that was reserved only for the priest, but he ate it. Said that's of course I can do this, but he he was always breaking their rules and they didn't like it. He hung out with sinners. Remember that? They said, "Oh, he just hangs out with sinners." Yeah, exactly. That's who he came to talk to. <laughs> and if you don't think you're a sinner, then he okay, fine. You can just go off in your own righteousness, but your own righteousness never get anybody to heaven, will it? Amen. All right. So he gave a strong word, but there was always this immediate impact. It was not ignorable. It created an impact. He didn't come in and go, well, you know, you need to come to church and you need to clean up your life. No, he said, listen, you're lost. You're going to hell. You need Jesus. I mean, he just bluntly, this is the Messiah. He is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament. And in him, all the fullness of God dwelt bodily. But he came in a body and he, tra and he put aside the exercise of his deity. He was never anything less than God. I want to be clear about that because there's some false teachers out there saying that when Jesus was on earth, he was not God. But he was God. He just didn't act like God. He acted like a man who had to overcome sin as a man, and he did. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then living that perfect life died in our place. That Jesus, all of God's plan is fulfilled in Jesus. And not only does he reconcile us as sinners to God, don't forget, he's reconciling God to sinners. Because God is, says, the soul that sins, it shall die. And so Jesus, who had no sin, became sin. That we can become the righteousness of God in him. And he turns God's frown into a smile. And he reaches down into the graveyard of human existence and brings us to life and brings us to God. That's the Jesus we're talking about. And you've got to be bold. And it has an impact when you're bold. But that impact's got both good and bad in it. <laughs> And it's some intense opposition. You can always back somebody up by being bold, but they're coming back. They're going to come running at you in, a, in, a, in just a second. And evil will always oppose it, but supernatural change will happen. People will get saved. Miracles can happen. Some bad things can happen, too. I want to show you a video. A young lady in our church, 14 years old, had an encounter with a teacher at school, and I heard about it. And I, I wrote her and I said, ask your parents permission, but if they'll let you, please make a video, send it to me, I'd like to show it in church. She said, okay. So I, I didn't call her parents, so I hope she did that part, because um, I'll be in big trouble if she didn't. But anyway, she sent me that video, and I want you to see it right now. So if you dim the light, show the video. I want you to see it. Remember, she's 14. What she has said is, it's an argumentative essay, but you can't argue. So the other day in my English class. Oh, here we go. Um, we were talking about argumentative essays because we had one due at the end of that week. Our teacher was going over everything that we needed in our essays, and then he was talking about topics that we weren't allowed to write about. And so then he starts going on about how you aren't allowed to write about abortion because it's super controversial and that there are a lot of people who would write about it that don't know anything about it and they would just use their opinions and that you can't just use opinions in an argumentative essay, you have to back it up with fact. And so then he started talking about how you can't use religion in your essays as well because it, um, there isn't anything to like back it up. And you don't, he implied that you don't have a leg to stand on when you use religion because there aren't things proving that it's real. And so I raised my hand and I told him, I said, I disagree with you completely. I said, there are many things that back up that Jesus was real and that the Bible is factual. And he got angry and like frustrated. And he was like, well, I see that your 14 years of being here definitely trumps my 20 years of teaching experience. And I said, well, apparently it does because what you're saying is wrong. I said, you're talking about how we aren't allowed to write about abortion and we aren't allowed to use religion in our essays because we don't know anything about it and I said but what you're saying right now is not accurate I said there are many things that you can use in your essays to back up Christianity and then you can go on to use that to back up your opinion about abortion and so he got really angry and he like cut off the conversation completely so then the next block I go into my Latin class and I was already angry because he the teacher was just making me mad and um, so I was talking to my friends about it. I was like, he, I was like explaining the situation to them. And so someone from my previous class came in to that class because we had the same, we had the same Latin class. And he starts arguing with me about the same thing. And I told him, I said, you've already listened to my point of view. I said, I'm not going to keep arguing about it. But I definitely was not confident before this to share my faith, and especially in a classroom setting because I didn't feel confident about my beliefs. But especially after taking the um, Way of the Master's class training, 
and um, starting to read my Bible a little bit more and like dig into the word about how like different things that you can use to prove that Jesus was real and that he was here on this earth, it really helped boost my confidence to be able to raise my hand and speak up in that class. So the first question pops my mind is, what's your excuse? But um, a bold witness, 14-year-old girl, <laughs> argumentative essay, but you can't argue. That's weird. And, has, and here's this big bad teacher, my 20 years of experience. When you got to refer to that, you're weak. And I love that she said, well, obviously it does because you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, that cracked me up. But I think she was respectful. I think that part, she was just being bold. But, uh, but she was respectful, and I think you ought to be respectful. But you can be respectful and bold at the same time. Because, because steadfastness, faithfulness means to endure to the end. doesn't mean to win the, win the fight. And she, was, she hung by her, her words. Let, let me show you how this plays out in Iconium. Unless you're, and, and I'll try to go through this fast because uh, I'll get really bogged down. But in, in Iconium, he starts at the synagogue because there's Jews there. It's a Jewish town. So you got Jewish people and Gentile converts. And as we read, as he spoke, it says uh, many of them, both Jews and Greeks, believe. They said, that makes sense. We believe that. We can see it in the Old Testament how you explain it. We get it. And so there's a belief that happens. There's this. Because they're familiar with Scripture, when Paul uses Scripture, they get it. But the next verse says, but, and this is one of the bad buts of the Bible, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. They brought in lies. They brought in, you know, things like, and, and I don't know about that teacher, but I know my own experience back, you know, back in the dark ages when I was in high school, that, that there were teachers and they wanted to teach evolution. And we talked about abortion because Abortion had just become the law of the land. Uh, I'm, I'm about the age of whatever year that was. It was 72, I was 12, it was 73, I was 13. I can't remember the exact year. 72, I think. 73, so I was about 13. And so I was in high school back then. We went 1 through 7 and 8 through 12. And so, so my teachers and fellow students, we, we would argue some of the same facts they're arguing today. But here's the, the weird thing is they who claim that we're unscientific and that we are ignoring science are unscientific themselves because there is no scientific evidence for evolution and there's no scientific evidence that abortion should be allowed. Period. It, it, it's crazy to say so. You guys call it what it is. And, and by the way, let me just, to be fair, there's no scientific evidence that that we can pinpoint by the scientific method that creation happened. But all the evidence points to creation. If you look at the evidence scientifically as you can. Because science says it has to be observable, measurable, and repeatable. And you cannot observe, repeat, or measure creation or evolution. You follow me? So the method can't be applied. But what we do know from true science points to creation. And what we know from true science says that from conception, it is a human in the womb that is separate from its mother. It's not the mom's body. It's the baby's body. And just because it's in the womb does not give you the right to kill it. Period. Now, I'm not arguing for 
against ladies that there might be some in this room that have gone through that, through being lied to and being misunderstand that. God's grace, if, if you turn from that, repent of that, God's grace is sufficient to heal all of that. But I am a little bit miffed at those who propound that Planned Parenthood, which is a misnomer to start with. You're not planning parenthood, you're planning death. And the founder of that started it to eliminate the black race. And that's historical fact. You can look that one up. So anyway, I, I, I couldn't help but go off on a tangent there, could I? So he started with scripture and there's that strong reaction. They poison their minds to not believe the truth. And they stir them up. But I love verse 3. I, my version says the word so, but, but the word there in most versions is therefore. I love the word therefore in the Bible. You look to see what it's there for. And it seems like verse 3 is not there for verse 2. Because what does it say in verse 3? Therefore, or so, they remain for a long time. <laughs> Wait a minute. If you're being opposed to people who come against you, you back up, don't you? No, Paul says, oh good, here he comes. And he steps into it. He moves into the controversy. He moves into that fight. Speaking boldly for the Lord. And the Lord witnessed, bore witness to the word of his grace. Notice that. Paul spoke for the Lord and the Lord said, he's right. And he bore witness to what Paul was saying. And not only that, it says he granted him to do miracles, signs and wonders are done by their hands to confirm what Paul was saying. Now you said, you believe in miracles? Yeah, absolutely, I'm saved. That's a miracle. Does God do extraordinary things today? Yeah. Does he have to? No. But he can, and if he wants to, he will, right? So don't get all hung up on that. But that's what God does with Paul. He there's intense opposition, but see the supernatural change? God is testifying his word. Miracles are happening. People are getting saved. But we come down and verse 4 says, But the people of the city were divided, some side with the Jews, some of the apostles. An attempt was made by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, to stone them. Paul said, let's go to the next city. <laughs> if I was writing a country song about this, that's where I would write, got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. They said, hey, there's another city, let's go to that one. These people don't want to hear it anymore, let's go to the next one, talk to them. And so they move on. And verse 7, and there they continue to preach the gospel. I want you to notice that. Paul ain't scared, he just goes, okay, this isn't going to be good if they kill us, let's go to the next city. There's some people there we can talk to. He doesn't even think about stopping, he just thinks about changing locations and keep going. Right? I, I read the uh, biography of Chesty Puller. Uh, and and uh, he was, he's the most decorated Marine ever, and uh, recruits in boot camp have to pray every night and have to end their prayer with, um, and thank you, Lord, and thank you, Chesty Puller, wherever you are. And uh, he was uh, on the reservoir in Korea when the communist Chinese surrounded the Marines, and uh, he was leading them up there, and he told his Marines, we got to turn around and go back. And he said, and we are Marines, we do not retreat. There are more enemy behind us than in front of us, so we are going to about face and attack. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't care who the enemy is, we're going after him. 
And this is not a retreat. This is an attack in a different direction. That's what Paul does. He's just like, well, you're going to kill me. I'll go over here. I'll talk to them. And he attacks over there. So then we get the second story. He goes to Lystra. And it starts with the word in action. Paul is still preaching. Notice in verse 8, it kind of repeats it. But there's a man sitting who could not use his feet, and he's crippled from birth, never walked, and he's listening to Paul speaking. I don't know if you've ever been uh, 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 made where some part of your body didn't function for a little while. Maybe you had a surgery or something, had old your arms still, or had a cast on your leg or something, broke a bone as a kid or whatever. And what happens after some time is it gets smaller and weaker because you're not using the muscles. That's called atrophy, okay? So you might know that word. It atrophies when you don't use it. Now, here's a guy who has never walked. I want you to get the picture. So what are his leg muscles? Non-existent. His ankles are totally weak. But notice what happens. Paul sees him and notices him. And just, I don't want to freak you out, but just so you know, and I, I'm always scanning the, all of y'all when I'm up here talking. And every once in a while, I'll catch somebody's face, and it changes every week. Like, I don't have, and I don't, I don't want you to think about it too much, freak you out, but some of you go, and I go, are you getting it? <laughs> That's when I, I catch some look that says, I didn't quite follow that. And, and, and I've asked some people, like, did you understand? And they go, oh, yeah, I was getting it. I was just really thinking about it. Uh, but but I, that's why I ask for amens. I want to make sure you're with me. Do you understand? Or I see somebody there smiling. They're like, yeah, get them, get them, get them. It's like saying, sick them to a dog. So, uh, I'll preach to them. Man. They're going, yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's get it. So I don't know. So Paul's up there preaching, and he sees this guy going, just staring at him, looking at him. And he, that guy's got faith. Get up, walk. The guy pops up, and his feet are healed. Well, that's pretty amazing. Guy's never walked a day in his life. And now all of a sudden his legs got muscles, his ankles are strong, he can walk. And Satan comes in opposition in a way that you didn't expect. They call Paul and Barnabas gods. Why is that a temptation? You may not know the story of Captain Cook. He landed on the Hawaiian Islands back when we were exploring the world. And for whatever reason, the natives there thought he was a god. And so he gave, they, they treated him like God. They gave his people anything. One, they never seen a white guy before. Maybe that's what did it. I'm not sure why it did it. But, but, but they gave him everything. They, I mean, everything they would want. And then Captain Cook decides to leave the islands and sail on. And as he's leaving, some guy didn't drink the Kool-Aid, didn't believe it. And he's mad at Captain Cook. And so he attacks him and he punch, punches him, pops him, hits him, does something. And Captain Cook goes, ooh, because it hurt. And the people went, He's not a god, he's a man, because he felt that. And so then they jumped on him and killed him. That's how Satan works. He'll give you whatever you want, but then he'll kill you. Right? Paul and Barnabas do not fall in the trap of Satan, because if they'd have just said, that's right, we're God, uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, I, I carry healing around my hand. We'll have a healing crusade this week. No, God did that. And Paul and Barnabas go, hey, we're just men. That's something God did. We didn't do that. God did that. But I want you to notice that Paul has been preaching already. God gives a miracle. Satan tries to distort it as he always does. Paul redeems it and says, oh, by the way, you're worshiping nature. That's what Wiccans do, witches do. They worship nature. They think they can get the collective consciousness and get all the spirits of the trees and the grass and the animals and all that. And I'm, If you're Wiccan and I'm misrepresenting you, I apologize, but that is what you do. You worship nature and you think the force of nature can help you. Uh, and I may be saying it not quite right, but that's what they do. And, and they're worshiping this thing. And Paul preaches that sermon and says, you're worshiping nature. You're worshiping the creation. We're telling you there's a living God who created it. And that's who we represent. 
And he starts not at scripture but in nature. And says, and that God loved you enough to give you rain and to give you trees and to give you crops. And it's he who you should bow and worship. And the Bible says even with those strong words you could barely stop them. And so there's a, 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 a strong reaction and a persecution. But it, it's a twist. And Paul then turns and preaches from creation. And <laughs> talk about opposition. Look what happens. But Jews came from Antioch. Remember that's the city where, where Paul first steps up. He first becomes Paul when he... Tells that sorcerer what for. And Iconium, which is the town they just left where they wanted to kill him and didn't get a chance to. And having persuaded the crowds, they do it. They stone Paul. They grab him. He can't get away. They stone him. Now, I believe Paul died. And even in face of evidence, maybe he didn't. I still believe it. But I'll point something out to you. It says they dragged him out of the city talking about those guys that stoned him because they thought he was dead. It says supposing him to be dead. So a commentator said Paul wasn't dead because it says supposing him to be dead. But the disciples gather around him and he just stands up. Now let me just tell you, if you've been stoned to the point that people think you're dead, you got a bad concussion. And I've seen people who've had concussions. You don't just stand up and go, okay, well, let's go back to the city. <laughs> or maybe he did have a concussion because he wanted to go back into the city. I'm not sure. Because I'm going like, you know, we left that other place. We can leave here too. Let's go. But no. Paul says, let's go back in the city. He just walks back in like, yeah, you think you can kill me? This is what God can do. Let me tell you more about Jesus. That's Paul's attitude. It's like, I ain't quitting. You're not going to scare me. And he goes back at it. I love that. And so the disciples gathered around him, and that's uh, down in verse 20. And he rises up, and he enters the city. He rose up. And on the next day, he goes on with Barnabas to Derby. And notice what they do in Derby. They preach the gospel. They preach the gospel. They preach the gospel. Everywhere they go, they keep preaching the gospel. They keep giving that strong witness. And there they made many disciples. So now they say, well, let's go back to Lystra, where they stoned me to death, and Iconium, and Antioch. In other words, they're tracing backwards where they've already been. And here's what they do, and this is the follow-up. We see these two examples. Here's the follow-up information. When somebody gets saved, they need to know this. First of all, they need to be strengthened. They're strengthened in the Word. Paul is going back and he's going, listen, this is not, you, you heard this young lady say it. There is evidence outside of the Bible that Christianity is true. All right? It is the most provable thing that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again. It's the most provable thing in history. Out, even outside of scripture. And so they're strengthening them and saying, it's in the word. you got to dig into the word. This is where you got to get it. It says um, they are strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're feeding their soul. They're saying, man, listen, here's who God is. This is what God can do. And, he, and they're giving them strength. Secondly, they encourage faithfulness. They, they preach endurance. They strengthen their souls. They encourage them to continue in the faith. When you read the churches in Romans Chapter, I mean, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, what you see there is over and over and over and over, Jesus said, those who endure to the end will get this or that or the other thing. Endurance to the end, faithfulness to the end. It's not whether you win the fight you're in, it's whether you are faithful to the fight to the end. Remember that great text in Timothy? We read a lot at funerals. I fought a good fight, I kept the faith, I finished the course. Vance Havner outlined it this way. Paul was faithful to the fight. He was faithful to the faith. And he was faithful to the end. That's what that verse is telling us. You got to be faithful to God. You got to be faithful to fight. You can't say, well, I believe it, but I'm not getting involved. You can't help but get involved, man. God saved you. 
How can you not get involved? You got to be involved. And the word does not return. So, so, so you, you, you have endurance from the word. And then in verse 22, because of the word, you're going to have tribulation. Saying that through much tribulation, they gotta, you enter the kingdom. Philippians, the same person, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. It is ours to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul could not separate suffering and Christianity. You and I have been spoiled, man. We grew up in America. America's had over 200 years of freedom. Say what we want, do what we want, think what we want. Some of that's in danger today. We've got people who want socialism, which is destroyed and ruined every nation it's been in and leads to communism quickly. And we're losing our freedom, and we've got young people that don't even know what the founding fathers taught and believed or why they taught and believed it. And it's because they saw that kind of oppression and they said, no, we, we're, not, we're going to have a free nation, people that are free. We don't get it. And we think tribulation is odd. This is the only place, the only country in the world that thinks persecution of Christianity is odd. You can't talk about this anywhere else in the world and them think it's not normal. Because to be a Christian in most places in this world is to invite persecution. Maybe some places worse than others, and maybe some, you know, up and down of that. But listen, if you've been paying attention at all in the news this past week, pastors in Burkina Faso, where I've been, have been put to death, and their churches, people in their churches, put to death. Because they got a little too close up there to the northern border next to Mali, and the, and the radical Muslims come across the border and kill them. And they stay faithful to the witness of Christ. You will endure tribulation. Paul said in Timothy, God led him to say, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. So my, my thought is this, the church doesn't suffer persecution because it's not living godly in Christ Jesus. We're not having a strong witness and a strong word that makes people mad. You don't make them mad, the truth makes them mad. Do you hear that young lady? She said, she said, I don't agree, there is evidence, and he got mad. Evil does not have an argument, it just gets mad. So you can't have, and so he goes back to church and says, guys, let me just tell you, I just got stoned, so I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I'm just telling you, tribulation's going to happen. We think we're going to escape tribulation, we're not. And then, I love this, he wanted to make sure his church continues, so they established reproduction by ordaining elders. Verse 23, and when they appointed elders for them in every church. They go back. These churches have been functioning a little while without them. They go back. They check it out. They find a guy. They go, man, I think God's got his hand on you. I think you need to be leading this flock. Here's you know, a copy of the scroll. I don't know how they did the Bible, how they had it back then. But you need to lead these people in this truth. And they had educated some men to be able to do that. And they established elders. Later, when they go back out, they go back through there. Check on them again. Paul's always going back to check on people. But they establish reproduction to make sure the word does not return void. And that's what we as a church have to do, isn't it? We've got to reproduce ourselves. I've, I've heard stories of people that waited to have children only to find out they couldn't, and it's sad to them. Or they regret the decision not to. I, I'm thankful to have children. I'm thank, thankful God blessed us with that. And I don't take that lightly. And there are people that are in pain because they have not been able to have children. I understand that. But spiritually, the Bible says, but don't let the childless say childless because you can have spiritual children. You can lead people to Christ, and in heaven, they will rejoice that you told them about Jesus. 
Well, they go back and give a mission report. I think it's good to report on what God did. So they return, verse 24, 26, just talking about all the places they're going back through. And it, it says they go back to Antioch, the church that had commended them to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And in verse 27, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that they had accomplished. All that God had done is what it says, right? Y'all are looking at me. Look at what it says in verse 27. And they reported all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas never thought to take credit for themselves. They knew that was an act of God. And let me just tell you, anytime God uses you, it ain't you, it's him. And the quicker you realize that, the more God can use you. And so God's active word, they saw results. They only brag on God. And, 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 and this door is open. And they established these leaders. And they debriefed the church. And in verse 28, I, I, I just I love this. And so they remained no little time with them. In other words, they stayed a while. I think that's for several reasons. One, I think Paul and Barnabas need to recharge. Man, they are dead. They are spent. They've been, Paul's like, I, I've been stoned. They've been chasing me around. I'm a little bit tired. Can I sit down? But this is a church that Paul and Barnabas had grown, and then they send them out to be a witness. So he comes back. He's like, we're going to hang out with you guys because y'all are friends, and we can learn. And, and so they sit down and start learning from those disciples as well as teaching them. Hey, we've experienced this and this and this, and they're giving them new information and new things. But they spent no little time with the disciples. Listen, coming to church is to recharge our batteries. We go out of here to live it out. But if we're not living it out, that's why we don't need, necessarily need to come and recharge. Some people come to church because nothing happens here to recharge their battery. Right? And some people quit coming because they never spend their battery, so they don't need anything. I, I, I'll leave you to judge where, where you are and where the church is. I want to I make sure that we are recharging batteries, that we're helping you to be encouraged, to grow in your faith, and to, to be bold. Well, what are some things you can do this week? Well, there's several things here. Uh, I, I had seven. I, I combined a few to make it four. So hang in here with me. First of all, get to know people that are not saved. If you go to church, if you're a Christian and you're regular in church, chances are you know very few lost people, if any at all, unless you just know them at work or something. In other words, you don't have any close friends that are lost. Statistically speaking, a, a guy that doesn't know God at all gets saved in two years, he doesn't know lost people. And there's several reasons that happens, not least of which is the lost people that you used to hang out with don't want to hang out with them anymore because he's different. Or she's different, either way. I'm going to use the proper English term, he, meaning all of mankind. Okay? And so you're different, and so they don't want to hang out with you. You're different, you might not want to hang out with them. But the reason God saved you is so you can tell them about Christ. So you don't keep doing what you did, but you need to know them. And so somebody like me grew up in church. I, I got some people I know that may be lost, or, but, but I got to go out of my way to meet them. I got to go about, out of my way to get to know them. And so do that. By the way, you can use Bless Every Home, the app. The, the thing You can do it on your computer, get that page up. You can sign up, and, and it will give you 40 households around you to pray for. It is not private information, it's public domain information, but you'll know, hey, there's a house there, I'm going to pray for people in that house. And, and you might know them even by name, by that thing, and you'll be praying for them. 
get to know people aren't saved. And then you're praying for them, and God may lay something on your heart, right? Why don't you take them a plate of cookies or something? I mean, you know, whatever. You might just do, do them a favor. You might notice one day because you've been praying for that house, and you see it, and you see him out there struggling, and you stop and help him. Never know. Secondly, see the world as a place to invade, not avoid. You know, there's a certain group of Christians that think, oh, I can't go there, there's sinners in there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. The big complaint they had about Jesus was he hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with prostitutes and publicans. He didn't do anything with them evil. He told them about the grace of God, and many of them got saved, like Mary Magdalene and and Zacchaeus and others. Matthew was a tax collector, and he got saved. Through a party, asked all his lost tax collector friends to come and invited Jesus too. <laughs> I love that part of the Bible. It's in the book of Matthew. You can read it. So see the world as a place you should be invading, not avoiding. Thirdly, pray more to keep people out of hell than to keep them out of heaven. As a church, so many times we're guilty. We have a long prayer list for people that are sick. Let me tell you something about sick people. They're either going to get better or get dead. And by the way, all of us are going to get dead. I pray for illness. I pray for my own illness. I pray for your illnesses. I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is we spend more time praying to keep people out of heaven who are going there than we do keep people out of hell that are going there. And our prayers ought to be emphasizing how can we tell the message of Christ to people who don't know him. And you may have somebody that you don't know because you're not God, you can't know, but you think they need that prayer. And you can be praying for them. You can ask others to pray for them. <laughs> In one church, we had that as a section of our prayer list, people that need to be saved. And we put their names down if they were given to us. And we had one of those guys show up at church, and he looked at the list. Of, he didn't say, why is my name on here? He said, why is my brother-in-law's name on here? He's not saved either. <laughs> Good point. We'll put him on there, too. Anyway. I hope that guy got saved. I don't know. He didn't get saved before I, I left. But anyway. So that kind of brings me to this last one. Forget the y'all come to church approach. Let's go with I'm coming to you approach. I mean, if a guy's drowning, he doesn't need the lifeguard to say, swim in the shore and I'll resuscitate you. He needs somebody to get off the stand, get in the water, and go out there and save him, right? So it's not wrong to invite him to church, do that. But it's not, y'all come now, you're here. It's let's go get them. <laughs> let's go into their home and tell them, Jesus loves you so much he sent me to tell you. I did a mission trip many, many years ago now, 16 years ago to South America. I've said that often. But it was in South America, it was in Argentina. And one of the first things that the culturally sensitive missionaries and natives there said is don't tell them you're from America. Tell them you're from North America. Because it was an insult. They are South Americans. And we, oh no, I'm an American, you're not American. Yeah, they're South American. And you know what? I saw people smile when I would do that. They'd say, where are you from? And so I'm from North America. And God sent me here to South America to tell you about Jesus. And they'd smile just because I was nice about it and friendly about it. Go get them. It's not that we are perfect, it's we know the perfect one, right? Did you see the choir and the signs? My wife brought the sign home after she came and filmed it, and I didn't know she had it home, and the next morning, 
She said, would you take this to your office and put it in there because I'm going to need it later. And she handed it to me, and I started crying when I read that. Abandoned my daddy. I knew that story. I know it now, and I cry. How awful. But thank God for his grace and a mom that took her to church and made sure she got introduced to Jesus and made sure she got to know a father who never abandons us, right? That's our job. Let's go find those who are hurting and in need and tell them about Jesus. But don't be shy about it. Get after it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are awesome, God. Lord.